Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Listeners, I'm so looking forward to releasing even more exciting content for you on the School of Travels podcast in 2021. I ended up taking a brief hiatus at the end of the year and moved from Mexico back to the U.S. to spend some time with family and also pick up my passport with my new Portuguese visa. Then, a couple of weeks ago, I officially moved to Lisbon, Portugal, and now that I'm finally settled, I am back with new episodes. As I've mentioned before, I will be releasing an episode about how I applied for residency in Portugal after I've had my official immigration meeting in March. So stay tuned for that. Now on to today's episode. Have you ever commuted every day to your office in the middle of winter and dreamed of one day escaping forever to a warmer climate? For four long years, my guest Daniel Timms did just that in the UK until one day he finally decided to book a plane ticket and use a conference he needed to go to in the U.S. as the jumping off point for his travels. That was almost five years ago, and Daniel is still traveling today. Along the way, he has tried many different things and learned that the math skills he already had could be used to make enough income to continue to travel for as long as he likes. I love Daniel's unconventional path to making money online, and I hope his story inspires you to consider how your current hobbies could become a new stream of income that you hadn't considered before. Without further ado, here is my interview with Daniel. Welcome to episode 49 of the School of Travels podcast. Square number 49. Indeed it is. I'm here with Daniel Timms, and I'm excited to talk with him about his travel journey. He is a fellow nomad that I met on Nomad Cruise 10 back in 2019, and Daniel, Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me, Becky. All right, so as you know, listeners, we often start with someone's travel journey on this podcast. And so I want to ask you, Daniel, first of all, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and then how you started traveling? Sure, yeah. So I first was introduced to the idea of traveling nomadically in 2011, just reading some bloggers on the internet. But at that point, I hadn't even had a real job so I was definitely not in the position to think about a nomad job. And I became a software engineer for four years. And every winter in the UK, I'd be thinking, why am I still here? Why have I not found a way of escaping the cold, miserable British winter to go traveling somewhere exotic? Had you traveled a lot when you were younger with your family? Not very much, no. We'd always stay either in the UK or in Europe. But at university, I went traveling with a couple of people. We went to Peru and Bolivia, and that really opened my mind to how it was traveling in very different places in the world. And of course, I wanted to see more. Did you have any experiences on that first trip that really stand out? Did it feel easy to travel and take that trip? Or was, was it like difficult to manage being in a, such a different place? It was fairly easy because we were a part of a group of six people and the others knew a lot more about traveling than I did and kind of I just followed them. So it was very interesting and fairly straightforward from my perspective. What was interesting is that we didn't really meet many other people because as a group of six, you form a bit of a clique. So all your experiences are shared just within that group. 
Whereas now my travels, I'm always meeting new people like Becky all the time, every place that I go to. And I think you experience more that way. So, okay, flash forward to 2011, you had been working at that time for four years. Uh, this was when I started working, 2011, 2012. And 2016 was finally the time when I said, this is the year, this is the winter that I escape from the UK and will spend the winter somewhere warm. So a few things kind of happened at the same time. First of all, it was quite a long time to work in the same company and it was time to make a change, whether that was changing to a different company or, or something like that. But also I had been involved in competing in these mind sports competitions, mental calculation competitions. In 2012, I discovered this is actually a thing. People compete just like they compete in athletics they compete in mind sports. And I had my first competition in 2012 in Germany. They have a World Cup for mental calculation. And in 2016, there's another bigger competition happening in Las Vegas, which not only was mental calculation, but also memory sports and speed reading. And I wanted to go to this, but it seemed a bit crazy to fly all the way from the UK to America just to do some maths. So I wanted to make a bigger trip out of this, maybe explore more of America. Central America was nearby. I had been studying Spanish. I had ideas of maybe doing some volunteering there. Basically, I had too many ideas to fit into a short trip. And that to me was the sign that this was the year that I was gonna quit my job and travel. So you're preparing for this competition, but also like preparing to leave the UK. And did you have an idea how long it would be? No, I... Originally, I was thinking maybe I'd take a sabbatical of a few months, but I didn't want the pressure of having to wrap everything back up to come back home. I wanted to leave it open-ended. So I thought maybe a year, I had no idea. And it's now been four years, four months, and I'm still here. Well, so that trip never stops. Yeah, it still hasn't stopped. <laughs> okay, I've been home sometimes. During uh, the coronavirus lockdown, for example, I was at home for six months back with my parents. But as far as I'm concerned, I've been traveling since August 2016. Wow. So when you prepared for this competition, you were leaving the UK to go and start your journey as part of that competition. Um, did you start saving up for like the year before or how did you prepare to finally quit your job and, and go and start this journey? Yeah. So, well, while I was working, I was always saving fairly well. So I knew that I could just travel and backpack and do what I wanted if I was frugal in the process, at least for a year or so. Okay, were you in London? This was in Cambridge. Okay, okay, so hopefully. It's also quite an expensive city, but not quite at the level of London. But you were, as you said, sensible, you were saving the whole time, even if you didn't foresee going on that journey and quitting your job at the time. You were. Yeah, you were it was always at the back of mind that maybe next year would be the year that I um, quit my job and go to travel. Mm -hmm. It was 2016 and yeah, so every year I was writing a list of the cool things that I'd done that year. In 2012 I'd had a really a big list, that was when I started working in a proper full-time professional job. It was also the year I did the calculation competition for the first time. But as the years went on I felt I was doing less, less new stuff and I thought okay, 2016 is a leap year, there's going to be even more days than normal Clearly, I should be able to do more cool things than in a normal year. Obviously, there doesn't make much difference having one extra day, but I used that as an excuse for why 2016 should be an extra 
cool year and took that intention and basically made it happen. It's quite a, it's a very big decision to make because you've got the stability and then you're leaving behind the place that you're living, the job that you're doing and like your your network of friends. So it's difficult to persuade yourself that it's really the best decision. So what I did was I thought of the things that I would need to do in order to go to travel, like renewing my passports, and did those knowing that even if I decided not to travel, that would be fine. And so when it came to the point where I had to make the decision to quit my job and start booking tickets, then everything else was already ready for me. The other thing I did was speak to some people about this, people who I thought would have different opinions. So some friends who are very much about like very conservative, very straightforward. One of my friends from school is very, he very much wants the traditional family life and stable career job. I spoke to someone who had been traveling for a couple of years and just got their feedback on it. So if there was a big mistake I was making, then it would reveal itself in those conversations. And that made me feel confident that I was making a good decision to do this. I like how methodical that was. I think there's so much fear around making such a big decision like that. So yeah. what happened when you went to Las Vegas? Did you win the competition? I, so in this competition, there's a bunch of different events. There's like 14 different events. So I was competing in the calendar dates. They give you a series of dates and you have to say what day of the week that was. And so I got a, a new British record in that competition, but there's many people in the world who are faster and they're winning the medals for that. Let's give the listeners an example of this. So pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> I was born on February 28th, 1982. What okay. day of the week was that, Daniel? That was a Sunday. That's correct. I don't know how you did that that fast, <laughs> but so that you're saying that in that competition, you were given a bunch of dates, like yeah. birth dates like that. And exactly. Yeah. All dates day. between 1600 and 2099. And there's a method for doing this. It's not just magic. There is a method that you can train to do this and you have to just answer as many of them correctly as you can in one minute. So in this competition I got 42 and there was some kid from India who got more than 100 and he, so he got the gold medal. How that. about January 11th, 2011? That was a Tuesday. February 10th, 1947. It was a Monday. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I need to talk to you later <laughs> about how you do this. I'm sure listeners might want to know now but yeah that's a whole process right? Yeah there's a method for this so that it's not this isn't something that I was always able to do this is something I taught myself in 2012. Can we go back to that for a second? What what got you into these mental math competitions? Because I had never heard of them until, until you started talking. About and neither them. had I until 2012. Yeah. So I'd always been good at like, the mental math, mental arithmetic, mathematics. I studied mathematics at university. But I realized after finishing university, I had never met anybody who was better than me at mental maths. But the, the obvious explanation for that is you don't really talk about it. You don't compete with people about that because it's just not really very relevant. So I assumed that there must be people around the world who were also very good and probably at a much higher level than me at mental maths. And maybe they even had competitions or records. So it was just Googled out of interest to see and found that they did have this World Cup competition that happens every two years in Germany. So I looked at the, um, like the scores that people had got in this competition and sure enough, they were much better than me. So I set myself the challenge in 2012 to train myself up so I could compete so I could compete on the same level as them. 
And a big part of that was learning the specific methods. There's a method for doing calendar dates. There's a method for doing square roots. There's a method for doing everything. But also thinking about numbers in a more deliberate way. Did you just find numbers came easy to you ever since you were a child? Math is not is not my thing, naturally. So you're, it's like you're a different species than me. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to know how your kind of mind works. Yeah, so numbers did always come quite easy to me. And one thing I've been thinking about since starting preparing for these competitions is, uh, what am I doing that allows me to deal with numbers so easily? Is this something that other people can also learn? And my conclusion is that yes, it is. The first time I did the competition, I thought it was going to be all of these people who were these savants, maybe they were autistic and they just saw the world in a very different way. And the truth was that all the people in the competition had just trained themselves to do their different mathematical tasks. And the success was just, were you training smart and were you training a lot? And I wasn't training a lot because I had other things to do, but uh, I... In the process, I, I learned a lot about learning and I learned a lot about how the minds can think. I have to say, like, especially as an adult, I don't spend any time like with math repeatedly every day, like working and getting better at it. So I can I can see where it's almost like learning a language. It's if the more time you put into it, of course, you hopefully get better at it. Yeah. And language is the kind of thing that especially like, say, when we're traveling, maybe we want to learn languages and places that we go to sometimes. But math isn't something that you ever think to train after leaving the education system. And especially in terms of the mental maths, so doing calculations in your head, people don't really work on that after the age of about 10, 11, 12, when the school system starts talking about algebra and trigonometry and all of this more, more advanced mathematical ideas. And so when people need to use them for calculating change, converting between currencies, meters, feet, inches, kilograms, Fahrenheit, some people feel they've got the skills, but most people think that's just not a superpower that they have. Right, and the truth is that you can, you can train pretty much anything, including the maths. How does knowing mental maths so well help you in your everyday life? Or has there been a situation where you're like, knowing this, being trained in this really benefits you. Yeah, so with traveling, you're often dealing with currency conversions. And it's nice to be able to just do that in your head without having to rely on like um, some kind of online currency converter for stuff. So you, if, you, if someone gives you a price, you know immediately whether it's a good price or a bad price. If you go to an ATM and they're trying to convert the price for you, then you can see how much they're ripping you off. Well, they're always ripping you off, so just never never <laughs> accept what they're giving you. But you can see how much they're ripping you off. I've seen ATMs taking as much as 13% rip right. off with that. <laughs> the other thing that's useful is the calendar dates thing. If I ever don't know what day of the week something is, then I can, I can calculate it immediately using this method. But that was surprisingly practical tool to have. Yeah, I, 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 it would be a wonderful party trick as well. I don't know if you've ever used it on a date or impressed a lady on a date <laughs> with uh, saying her birthday of the week. <laughs> I've shown it to people, but maybe if it's a date you don't want to get drawn into a conversation about algorithms, maybe that's a bit of a mood color. Uh, so let's go back to this competition. So you set, you set a new British record in Las Vegas in 2016 at that competition. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, I'm curious what happened from there. Like how did someone with your background in computer programming and maths 
start being able to support themselves because you said it lasted for four years and four months now. What has your journey been like? Yeah. What happened on that trip and going forward? So while I was while I was going to Las Vegas, I wanted to go to Central America because I was learning Spanish and it just seemed like a really cool part of the world. I also wanted to do some volunteering. So I thought maybe I find a volunteering project that involves like education or software. And I was also aware that there's lots of volunteering opportunities where you pretty much pay for the experience. You're not really giving anything useful to the people you're supposed to be benefiting. It's more like tourism where you pay to feel good. And I didn't want that. I wanted something where I was really being useful. And I found a website called grassrootsvolunteering.org, I think that lists ones where you really are doing something that's useful to the people that you're supposed to be benefiting. And the one I found that really caught my eye was nothing to do with education, nothing to do with software. It was being a tour guide, a tour guide in Nicaragua. And the idea of that place was that they offer tours to the volcanoes. If you've seen people who are sliding down volcanoes on wooden boards, that, that's where it is in Nicaragua. People camping by the volcanoes, seeing lava we would put on these tours and all the profits from it would be given to the local charities who are helping the the kids who don't have much education, the orphans, the basically lots of projects in education around the city of Leon in Nicaragua. I have I was one of those people on the volcano board. Oh you actually in, went? Uh, yes, yes. I went in I think it was 2017, 2016. Which which month? It would been it would have been December or January of two thousand December two thousand sixteen. I think it was it would have it may have been seventeen. I was there both times. I liked it so much that I came back a year afterwards. So it was December two thousand and sixteen, and December two thousand and seventeen. I was there both times. I will find out for you. We'll we'll find out later. Do you remember what the what color was your board? Ooh, I want to say it was yellow. But yeah. I have, I know where I can get a picture after okay. this podcast. Okay, we'll check afterwards, yeah, because my, the, the organization we were working for, Castle Trackers, had the yellow boards. Okay, I will check. At listeners, we'll let you know <laughs> after this podcast if Daniel and I have met before. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> yes. Um, on the other Nomad cruise, where there was one of the Nomads, Teresa, and she recognized me. We found out that she recognized me from doing one of the tours on that same volcano. Wow. Yeah, it was really, I mean, unforgettable experience. It's a one of a kind. I've never done anything else like that while traveling. And for me, it was really cool because I had left my software job where I'm working in an office. It's indoors, sitting down, using my brain, working pretty much independently on these tasks. The tasks get done and I get new tasks. All of that was completely different working as a tour guide and working ridiculous hours as in a weird times of day. I'm working in a very physical way because I'm there hiking around these volcanoes, carrying water bottles, chasing after lost tourists, going shopping, all of this. It's really hot. The weather there that time of year is about 32 degrees, 90 Fahrenheit, and lots of sun. So none of the air conditioning for the office. And I'm not just using my brain. I'm working in a much more interpersonal way because it's my responsibility not just to tell the tourists facts about volcanoes, but to make sure they're having a good time, make sure they're feeling secure, make sure that just the general vibe of the group is is where it should be. Did you have ever have any serious mishaps that everybody was stayed safe? Um, pretty much everything was fine. I remember doing the 
there was one volcano we used to visit at night for the full moon. Wow. And it's a climb, about one hour climbing during the day, carrying a full backpack. And it's the most boring part because you just have to climb. You just have to put in the work to get to the top. And to make it more interesting, I would offer that we could do it as a race. So anybody who wants to race up the volcano, then I get a stopwatch and we do it. And people who don't want to do that, then that's fine. No one's being pressured to do anything. And there were about three of them who wanted to race up. So we raced up and then someone overtook me. So I gave him my phone so he could time himself because he was going to beat me to the top. I got to the top of the volcano and he wasn't there. And I realised that he must have gotten lost somewhere. So I had to like run around the top of this volcano trying to find... It wasn't, it wasn't that far to find in the, in the end, but I was worried that I'd lost this tourist on the volcano in the middle of the night. And he had my phone, so I couldn't call for help or anything. Wow. But that was fine. Probably the funniest thing, though, was we went to Sevenagro, the volcano boiling place, and then to the hike afterwards in the next volcano with this group of 17 volunteers in medicine. I think they were eye doctors and dentists or something. But they were, anyway, they were working on like, volunteering in medicine. And they had been told that it's very hot, we need to bring lots of water. We all carry eight litres of water and it's really important to stay hydrated. And they'd all understood this message. So we were just driving in the car, it's about one hour to the volcano. And at some point, their car stops and they all just run out into the bushes and we're like, what happened? Is there some kind of, something escaped? They're trying to uh, run away from some poisonous animal and what's happening? It turned out that they'd all had loads of water beforehand and simultaneously were desperate for the bathroom uh, in the middle of the path to the volcano. Oh my gosh. It happens. Nature calls. <laughs> Nature all called them very loudly <laughs> at the same time. Well, so you said that you did that for two seasons. Yeah, so I was there for three months. You need to be there for three months because it takes time to train yourself up with the roots because at some point you have to be the responsible person taking these tourists and if it's your second time on the volcano then you're just not going to know what's happening. But then I took the Nomad Cruise, Nomad Cruise number five to Panama in 2017 and one of my friends who'd become the director of the, um, this organisation, Quetzal Trackers, told me that they didn't have many skilled guides and if I wanted to come and help train people for a couple of weeks, then I could do. So I came back and ended up staying for another two months. Wow. Did you ever make it to Ometepe Island? I did make it to Ometepe, yeah, that's a cool place. Yeah, I, uh, that was my favorite place. I went. I only went for about two to three weeks to Nicaragua, but Ometepe is such a unique place. Listeners, if you haven't heard of it before, I highly recommend it. There's these two volcanoes that are form this island, like a figure of eight shaped island in this huge lake in Nicaragua. And yeah, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a weird place in some ways. We hiked one of the volcanoes and there's a crater lake on the top of the volcano. So you can be in a lake, on a volcano, on an island, in a lake, <laughs> in a country. Just like all yeah. the layers that you feel back, wild. And I had never ridden the motorbike before, but some of us just decided to rent motorbikes. So we went to the motorbike rental store and they said, you know how to ride the motorbike? And we said, honestly, no. So they said, okay, we'll teach you. And they just took us out in a field of cows, taught us how to ride motorbikes, and then we had the island to ourselves that day. There's a lot of dirt paths, though, on that island. Like, I imagine there could be quite a lot of, like mud and craziness going on on your motorbike. Yeah, near near Madeiras, I think this is the, the volcano with the crater lake. Yes. 
the path towards that was very sketchy. There were some points where I was pushing the motorbike up because I'd taken the wrong bit of the path. Wow, so okay, you were a tour guide in Central America um, on helping people go down volcanoes. And then what was next? Well, with three months of talking to tourists, I'd heard every recommendation imaginable for Central America. And the other tourists had got me really hyped for Guatemala, for Colombia, and for Mexico. So the next place I went to was Guatemala, and I spent lots of time jumping off rocks into different water. And that was a really, really cool country. And uh, and then what? Yeah, I came back to Europe, didn't really know what I was doing, and I did some things during the summer. But in September, I was feeling a bit lost because I didn't have a plan for after this. I've been traveling at this point for 12 months. On my computer, I had a notepad with a list of ideas that I'd just gotten from different places. And so I just checked this to see if there were any ideas. And it said, Nomad Cruise, 25th of September. And this was at the beginning of September. So I looked it up and I thought, this actually looks really cool. Where did this idea come from? I have no idea when I wrote this in my notepad, but it, it seemed like a really attractive idea to, to go on this cruise. It was going to be a ship of a couple of hundred people who had location-independent lifestyles, who were working on different things. And I was already having the idea that maybe I can continue my travels by working somehow. So it was the ideal opportunity. And in my mind, I was thinking, I haven't got enough time. It's like three weeks to prepare. I was thinking of going to Asia this time. I'm not sure I can do it. It's uh, how I'm going to prepare everything. But I caught myself and said, no, this is clearly the right opportunity to go for. It's easy to plan. You just pack your bags, book the tickets and go. And so I did. And it was a really, really great experience. Yeah, Nomad Cruise 5 is like still in the early days. Now it's, it, it became much bigger, I hear, by 7. Yeah, we were 240 people on that ship, I think. And the next one afterwards was nearly 500. Yeah, I know we're missing Nomad Cruise this year. Another thing I recommend to all the listeners out there, if you get a chance, we hope it comes back, obviously, in 2020. we had Very much, yeah. Yes, like there were no cruises going out, but I'm hoping sometime later this year. Fingers crossed, it will come back. Hopefully in the autumn season, then it will be possible again. So what, what the cruise ships do, because everyone wants to be in the Mediterranean during the summer, and everyone wants to be in the Caribbean during the tropical dry season, I guess, after the hurricane season, they move the cruise ships, or some of the cruise ships, across the Atlantic. And because no one really wants to go on a cruise ship that's not visiting anywhere, or your typical cruise ship guest doesn't want to do this, these are really cheap, but if you're having a conference on board where the attraction's not the places that you're getting dropped off, the attraction is the events and the community on board, then it's ideal. Right, imagine having a big bulletin board like right in front of the disco, which is I think where they like to put it, and you just get to decide yourself, do I want to give a workshop about any kind of topic? Okay, let me just choose a day and put a time, and then you just... You say, like, I want to talk about podcasts at 5 p.m., meet me in front of the library. And just whoever in this group of 250 or up to 500, as he said, they can join you. And it's, it's fantastic. You meet through these shared hobbies and, and shared interests in a really unique way on a cruise ship. And really, most people are nomads, hence the name Nomad Cruise. But you've got to be able to not have connectivity to the Internet for, I'd say, up to two weeks if you can help, yep. because the internet's pretty bad, isn't it? Yeah, do not rely on the internet on the ship. But there are some people who have to, and so whenever the ship whenever the ship does dock at a port, then their excursion is to find the nearest cafe with Wi-Fi and do their work from there. So it's not always possible to be completely disconnected for, for everybody there, but there, there's ways around that. I think with more people being able to work remotely now, I think that there may be more people that are able to join this kind of event in the future, and that would be great. 
Yeah, I hope so. And did you find insight when you went on Nomad Cruise 5? Did you find the direction you were looking for? I mean, I find lots of inspiration in lots of different ways, but I didn't really find the business direction at that point. I was still in a bit of a backpacker mindset. Uh, I mean, after that, I went to work at the the tourist agency again, well, as a, as a tour guide again. And then after that, I was working as a, an interpreter in the Amazon. So I was still very much in the backpacking volunteering mindsets, exploring the world in these ways. It was only after the second Nomad Cruise, so after about two years of travel, that I started thinking more seriously about this. Yeah, knowing I had experience with uh, mental calculation and mind sports, and seeing that online courses were a big thing, I decided to make an online course about that. I thought, how hard can it be? I can, I can explain what I'm doing, I'm used to teaching this stuff, I've got the knowledge, I just need to make some videos and then put it online. Turns out it's a lot more work than I expected. It took me about two months in total. From conception to launch. Yeah, and that was a lot of work. Lots of things I didn't know how to do, how to edit the videos, how to structure things, how to speak on camera. That was a big thing as well, because it's very different from talking in front of an audience in a classroom. And it also turns out that online courses are not that profitable most of the time. Yeah, there's this whole secret, I feel like there's a whole secret sauce or you've got to almost take another course to learn about how to do well with your course online. You, the main thing is if you got the, if you got in there early enough, then you can be successful. But now there's so many people producing courses about everything that unless your course is the best out of the hundred potential courses, then it's not going to be super profitable. But it was still a really good experience for two reasons. One of them, we shared a villa with a group of 14 of us who were all working on different enterprise projects like this. Other people doing online courses as well. And we had a month focused on productivity. So you had the right environment for it. You had the right support from the people who were sharing the experience with you. And other people had ideas they could give you. They'd done videos before so they could help you. They'd done marketing before they could help you. They also wanted to learn about something. So that was a really, yeah, really inspiring experience being in that kind of bubble. So doing this course, it gave me a project so I could participate fully in that. But since finishing that course, even though it doesn't really make that very much money, now I've got experience in making videos. I've got experience with teaching these kind of these kind of mathematical ideas to people and I've used that with coaching since then I've been making online courses on different topics for other people so it was super worthwhile just from the skills that I picked up in the process it wasn't about the destination but about the the journey to use the cliche yeah I found that with so many different projects I've started on and, and just pushing forward and finishing something like that making a course it, it starts to make you an authority not only on the subject that you're teaching about, but on making a course itself. And, you know, people find you, they can, even if now a lot of people are finding you, it's a way to start. And then you start to build up your repertoire and your reputation. So yeah. I know that you told me now you are teaching maths and teaching some programming online. And yeah. I'm wondering, where did you find these students? So at the beginning of my travels in the first year, I did quite a lot of volunteering projects. And one of them was working in Oxford in the UK as a summer school tutor. Basically because the universities have a big reputation 
for academics and in the summer they're empty, then people rent out the colleges and they make their own summer courses, usually for high school students who are maybe two years away from university. And there was one of them which again has volunteers who, and gives all the profits to other educational charities. So I worked with them for four weeks. This is about one year into my travels and I was teaching engineering. They persuaded me I'd be good for teaching engineering. And so I, I made up a course and taught them and it was a really good experience. And they also persuaded me to make a workshop about the mind sports, more about the memory than mental calculation, but based on what I'd learned from doing these competitions. At the time I was just doing it because it felt interesting and I was volunteering trying to be useful, but since then I've worked for a couple of other summer schools doing the same thing, teaching engineering, computer science and maths, and I didn't have to spend two weeks preparing because I already had the ideas and the material by this point. And the workshop I've now done in different forms for other audiences. So yeah, just doing the stuff for free, just doing the stuff for for fun in some way gave me all of these other ideas, all of these other tools that I could use elsewhere. So if anyone listening wants to improve the opportunities available to them in whatever their profession is, then my advice would be work on different projects that you find interesting. Just say yes to anything that's vaguely related to the field that you want to work in and opportunities will just accumulate you'll find that a skill that you've learned doing one project is useful or essential for doing something else. So this has happened to me so many times with the, the teaching, with doing the workshops, with doing these competitions, with making courses, with, with everything. It all kind of comes together into a whole repertoire of skills and experiences that you can put together. It's like say yes, put your hand up, volunteer, agree to help someone and it just accumulates like you said yeah and then you don't you, you get to a point where you don't have to think about how you're going to get your next dollar or what you're going to do next because so many opportunities are just coming to you yeah and I, I found that as we travel more and more that happens yeah great I love that you basically had a hobby or an interest and you pursued it and to the level of competition and then from that like you said everything has just come to you in a sense yeah, and in doing this, you also find out what your you find out what other people want from you, what it is that you can provide that other people want. I find this is much easier than trying to invent some kind of product, trying to invent some kind of service, and then trying to hunt down clients and persuading them that they want to buy your service. If you just try different things and put yourself out there, people will tell you what they want from you. Thank you so much, Daniel, for joining us today. I really thought you had this unique path that you've been taking since you started traveling and using maths, as I said, something I'm not so skilled at, but there's so many ways, there's so many paths you can take when you start traveling. And as we've seen in the last year, now so many more of us are remote and we can really start to even more so write our own stories and stay on the road at the same time. Yeah, that's what it is writing your own stories. If people want to follow you or learn more about what you do, uh, maybe they're interested in mental maths or memory, where can they go? Best place is probably um, my website, so daniel-tims.com. Okay. That's Tims with two Ms. We will then. put that on the schooloftravels.com so people can find you. 
And thank you, Daniel. It's been really nice to meet you and reconnect with you after Nomad Cruise 10. Yeah, really nice being on here. Thank you very much, Becky, for inviting me. Thanks again, Daniel, for sharing your story with us. Usually when I meet someone on the road, they're often making money online using language skills such as teaching, translation, or copywriting. So it was really interesting to learn that there is a lot of potential to support yourself with math teaching or other subjects as well. I also love how Daniel talked about learning through the process of making something new. Maybe you aren't sure if your online course is going to sell well, but along the way, you also learn how to make online courses, edit videos, write effective marketing content, etc. These things can also be leveraged as streams of income if you take the time to get good at them and start to advertise your services on popular sites like Upwork or Fiverr. Think about your current hobbies or interests and see what you can do to leverage them to learn even more skills or help more people discover your hobby. I've put the link to Daniel's website on theschooloftravels.com if you want to find out more about mental math and memory or how Daniel is making money through his math skills. By the way, it turns out that I did go to the same volcano boarding company that Daniel worked with in Leon, Nicaragua, but one year before Daniel started working there. So it turns out we didn't actually meet until the Nomad Cruise. Too bad, Daniel. Too bad, Daniel, because that would have made for quite the epic story if we had met on a volcano. Thank you, listeners, as always, for following along on the journey. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this